Well, this is the last Sunday of 2019, and so it's always kind of strange to know what to speak because you know there's going to be quite a few gone, or you know there's going to be you know just just a change of heart of some people going into the 2020 or the new year, and so you kind of wonder. And I say, okay, God, what do you want me to really do? And and because uh, we're having our New Year's Day service, and I've really got the message for you there, and it's really just if you want to thank me, win the war. That's going to be the message January one, and we're going to talk about how we do that. But as we look back, I mean, we're going to be looking back. We're also mostly going to be looking forward, right? There's nothing wrong with looking back, by the way. You know, Paul says one thing I do is I forget the past. Well, the past, and I believe that, but the past can also be a great learning tool for us, right? If we forget the past and we don't learn from the past, we're going to repeat the past. So we don't want to do that. So this is our last Sunday in 2019. It's my 15th last Sunday of the year since being pastor of Impact Church. 15, I hadn't really thought about that until over the weekend, my 15th last Sunday of the year. Sometimes I'll give the, the New Year's message on that last Sunday, depending on how, how just the spirit flows. But, but you know, the message has not changed. But let me tell you, the sense of urgency is w- without doubt greater than ever. And I believe that this, there's such a sense of urgency. And I see you shaking your head. You understand that there's something is happening. And... And during the last month in 2019, we, we began seeking God in December. We felt the Lord told us that December was the month that you were really to be self-examining. And, and then we saw some of the prophets came through with the same word. It's a, it's a month of getting rid of stuff, getting rid of junk. Don't, and, you know, of course, that's not uncommon. The last month, you just don't want to take anything in the new year. But, but what the Lord was telling us was it's time to get rid of the soul baggage, the bitternesses, the offenses, the resentments, the things that will hinder you in the war in the 2020, in the battle that's, that we have ahead of us. And so it's very important that we take inventory of our lives and to eliminate any unnecessary baggage, anything that hinders, because we have a specific purpose. And, you know, we spend a lot of hours here at Impact talking about just the teaching, preparing, and studying about how do we get the soul healed, basically. Our Luke 418 ministry is, is that's what it's all about things that entangle our soul and keep us from walking in the power and the authority. I was telling Dan this morning, and we were in the prayer room, and I said, there's, there's, there's a part of me that, that's just not satisfied. Right? I said, I'm never going to be satisfied until I see the same power in us and in the church, and I can only account for myself, that I see in the test, in New Testament. I'm, ne- I'm never going to be satisfied. See, why can't we walk by in our shadow heal the sick? Why can't we lay hands on the sick and they recover? Why can't we lay hands on the dead and they come to life? Why can't we? And I think there's some very good reasons why that doesn't happen today. But as I was just praying this past couple of weeks, and I was saying, God, I don't want to be, I don't want to be uh, j- uh, selfish or anything, I said, but, but I want to know you and I want to know your power and I said, is that okay? And I said, I'm not going to be satisfied until I do. And he reminded me what Paul said. He said, I want, to know, I want to know him intimately and the power of his resurrection. That's where the church has to be. See, the church is not in that place today. The church at large is not in that place. We look at the world, we say that it's not working. We've, we've heard this a thousand times. If the church was the New Testament church, we would not have the issues we have in our nation and in the world. Amen? But what if the church began to walk in that power? What if we began to walk in that resurrection power? What if we could walk up to someone and, 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 and just speak a word of encouragement that brought them out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light just through a word, a revelation? 
One thing the Lord said to me in the month of December, I said, I want everybody you meet to be the most important person in your life at the time you're talking to them. I want everybody you meet. And it might be that waiter. I was talking, we were on our way back from Alabama. We were in Lawrenceville, Georgia, and this little waiter was there. And I did, the Lord just showed me something in him. And, and I began to talk to him. And he, he's a, a college uh, student. And he said he wanted to become a politician. And, and I said, oh, I'm so glad. I said, I can see this in you. And, I, and he really appreciated just that word of encouragement. Well, that was not monumental. But you know what it might have been? It might have encouraged him through something he was dealing with at home. See, you carry the light of the gospel. You carry the light of the glory of God. We have to share that with other people. And we're going to be talking today about the word. We're going to be talking about discipleship. If, if the church is called for anything, it's called for discipleship. It's not called to come together on Sunday morning and have meetings. That's good. I like doing that. But it's called to make disciples. That's, our, that's what we're supposed to be doing. And we have to learn, though, that our past is only profitable when it enriches our future lives. That's when our past is profitable, when it enriches our future lives. We are products of our past, but we're never prisoners. We're products of our past, but we're never prisoners. I want to ask you, who's ruling in your life today? So we must be the controller of the past and how we decide and, and how we decide how we're going to allow it to affect us today. Every one of us have a past. Every one of us have issues. Every one of us have problems. Every one of us want to blame somebody else for everything that's going on in our life today, don't we? But how we handle our past, if we learn from our past, do we pull things out of the past that's going to help us in the future? But we have to heal the past and let it go. We can't continue walking in the, in the bitterness and the resentments and all of these, I wish I should have done this or should have done that or regret you didn't do this or regret you didn't do that. Today is today. Today is today. And, you know, I believe God wants us to remember the past because why would he have so much recorded in Scripture? What did he tell the children? He said, write this down. He had Moses write it on the tablets. He had, he had Joshua put 10 stone or 12 stones in the river. Why? He said, I want you to remember what I've done. So we need to remember the great things that God has done for us. And you know, every testimony has a test, right? So we need to remember, we need to tell our children the great things. Our kids, are, they're, more, they're more in awe of the power of Star Wars than they are the power that's going on inside the church. I say it all the time. What if, if, what if our youth would come in here and we'd be raising the dead and, and sicknesses falling off, diseases falling off, and you know, they would say, wow, this is cool. No, what do they do? They have to go outside to other things to get the power fix that they need. They need to get that power fix inside the church. But the reason that we record things and we talk about the great things of God is to show his greatness. He is such a great God. And I believe that God knew that many people would remain prisoners to their past. And that's why he sent Jesus. That's why he said, now this is a scripture we looked at last week, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. This is an important word, the government will rest on his shoulders. And then it says, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of the ancestor David for all, his, for all of eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. So what's he saying? He said, in Christ we have the government of God ruling in our life. See, we're, we're living under one government or another, either the government of darkness or the government of God. And the government of God always trumps the government of, of darkness. Always does. I want to ask you, which government is ruling your life today? Which government is ruling your life today? It's the government of God ruling in our lives that declare null and void what the enemy has imprisoned us with in the past. Let me say that again. It's the government of God ruling in our lives 
that declare null and void what the enemy has imprinted into the hearts and minds of, our, of us, God's people, and kept us in prison. It's that government of God that overrules it. And again, does the enemy's government reign in your life or does God's government reign in your life? Because he has a government just like God has a government. And we see this in, in Ephesians 6 where Paul says we're not fighting against flesh and blood. What? Against spiritual powers, evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, mighty powers. So the devil has a government. We have a government. We're either in one or the other. We, you know, we don't have one. We don't live in, on Sunday we're in the kingdom of God. On Monday we're in the kingdom of darkness. And we shouldn't be that way. But God does have a government. And, and in, we look at Isaiah, and I just briefly, this is just, we talked about this more last week, but the government will rest upon whose shoulders? Jesus' shoulders. It's going to rest up. And this is, these are the characteristics of God's government. He said he's a wonderful counselor. I told you last week that literally translates extraordinary strategist. So we have victorious strategy. So the government that we're in, the government that rules in our life, has strategy over every evil plan of the enemy. He has strategy over every problem you're going through. There's a way to get out of your situation, and it comes through the extraordinary strategist. Whatever you're going through today, you say, well, if I hadn't have done this, it don't, don't worry about what you did. God wants to undid it. <laughs> God wants to undo what you did. God wants to bring relief. He wants to bring prosperity. He wants to bring deliverance to your life. Isn't that right, Maria? I love her story. See, she was, she was living under a kingdom of, of darkness. The government was ruling in her life with depression and anxiety. But what happened? The kingdom of God's government came in and ruled and broke and, over, and overthrew that kingdom of darkness in her life. And look at her now. What an incredible story of how God wants to bring deliverance and strategy. The strategy also means a plan, right? It's not hocus pocus, wave the magic wand, give you the silver bullet and everything's wonderful. God's strategy involves a plan. He has a plan for your health, for your finances. And I tell you all the time, God may not have a miracle, but he's always going to have a plan. He's always going to have a strategy. And so he is our victorious, our wonderful counselor, our extraordinary strategist. Number two, he said he's mighty God, El Gabor. And that has to do with military authority and power. And, and so in our, the government we have, we have supreme power and authority. That's why in Luke 10, 19, Jesus says, I'm, I'm giving you authority over all the miracle-working power of the enemy. So when there's stuff, confusion going on in your life, you have authority over it. When there's sickness going on in our life, we have authority over it, right? Whose government is ruling in our life? Number three, he said he's everlasting father. That's compassionate love, God. We talked about love. This is so beautiful this morning, talking about the love of the father. The love of the father. So we have, not only do we have the strength of the military, we have the compassionate love of God balancing all this out. It's, just, it's, it's having the incredible, all, all authority, all power, but you also know you can run to him anytime you need to go to him, which is always. And then at last he says he's going to be the prince of peace, shalom. And that word is simply wholeness. God desires for you and I to be whole. God desires for everything in our life to be whole. And that's what shalom really is all about. Remember we talked last week about Isaiah 26, 3. He says you'll, he'll keep us in perfect peace if our mind is stayed on him because what? We trust in him. And that word perfect peace, the word perfect is wholeness. It's shalom. He will keep you in shalom, shalom as long as we trust in him. Right? And don't look to our own ways. Again, I want to ask us what government is ruling in our life. What government is ruling in our life? Jesus let me just go back, John 1. 
Let me just go to John 1. Isaiah tells us that the government of God rests solely upon the shoulders of Jesus. Solely upon him. You say, well, I don't see Jesus walking around in there anywhere. Well, just look at all. We've got Jesus inside of us, but we have something else. And this is where the Lord is really taking me for 2020. I, you know, I, I'll hold off on that a minute. But in John 1, 1 through 5, it says, In the beginning was the Word. That Word, by the way, is Logos. I want you to keep that in mind. That's my parentheses. It says, And the Word, Logos, was with God. And the Word, Logos, was God. So Jesus was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. So the Word, Logos, is God. It says, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness can never overcome the Logos of God. It can never overcome the Logos of God. So Jesus is the Word of God. And, and that is the title of Jesus understood as God's ultimate communication of truth. Now, where, what word do we have today? Where's my Bible? It must be in my office. What word do we have today? What Logos do we have? Who needs a Bible in church? It, hang on. Falling apart here. You didn't, you didn't fix me. Come here and fix me real good. Excuse me. Turn your back. Everybody close your eyes. Hang on. It's great to be around family when these things happen, isn't it? Mandy, this is really strange. I've never had this happen before in 15 years. I've had it go out, but never... Somebody's, okay, there we go. We're hooked up now. Hallelujah. Where was I? We can start all over, right? Okay. So the Word of God is Jesus, right? And He is that Logos, and He is that expression of God. And, and, we, and we see in John 1, 14, it says, So the Word Logos became human and made his, his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. See, and it says, And we see His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only. So Jesus is that expression of God, Hebrews 4, 12. For the word Logos, I'm giving you this definition, of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So we see the word of God for 2 Timothy 3.16. So we see that the word Logos represents who God is. It represents the expression of God, right? But we also see that, that when that we have that collection of Logos, it's called something else. It's called Graphe in the, he, in the Greek. It's called Scripture. So the scripture is simply the collection of Logos. Why am I telling you this? Don't we know this? No, because over 50% of the church has never reads their Bible. That's why I'm telling you this. And if we move into 2020, if you don't pick up your Bible, you're going to be eaten alive. You're going to be eaten. I know some of you have it on, on, on the electronic. That's great. Have it on, I love reading mine on my iPad. I do that a lot. It doesn't matter how you have it. Get the word in you. Get the word in you. But we, but we have to have the Word of God. So in 2 Timothy 3, it says, Every scripture or the collection of Logos has been written by the Holy Spirit. So every, every word in that scripture, that word is holy. We have, to have, we have to have reverence for the Word of God. I told you one of the first things the Lord said to me 40 years ago, after questioning, you know, my mind's so analytical, well, God, this doesn't make sense. How does that happen? You lay hands on the sick and they recover. How does that happen? That's not possible. And he said so clearly, he said, you've got to decide who you're going to believe. And at that point in time, I said, I choose to believe this word, whether it makes sense to me or not. I choose to believe the word, whether I understand it or not. 
And, you know, every time I've applied that word in 40 years, God's word has always brought back what the fruit it was meant to send. It never returns void. Never, never, never. So the problem is, as we go out into the world, if the government of God is ruling in our life, we've got to be people of the word. We've got to be students of the word of God. And it says, it will empower you by his instruction. Listen, it will empower you. How many need power today? We need power, don't we? The church needs power. The church is, the church is not even respected in the world today, in America anyway. We were talking to a friend of ours about this very thing. It's kind of what got me going in this direction about Western Christianity. He's, he actually lived in Germany most of his life in India, over in the Far East. And now he's here in the U.S. And, and I said something about what he's, re- he's really seeking God. I said something about Western Christianity. He said, what is Western Christianity? I said, it's showbiz. It's showbiz. That's what it is. And so anyway, it will empower you by its instruction and correction, giving you the strength to take the right direction and lead you deeper into paths of godliness. See, what did, what did Timothy, he said, we train our, Paul said to Timothy, we train ourselves for what? Godliness. We train ourselves for godliness. We don't train ourselves on how to do church. We are the church. We need to be the church. We train ourselves on godliness. So Jesus is that expression of the word of God in the earth for man. And Jesus gave authority and power to the scripture as well. I'm, I'm trying to convince you, if you're not reading your Bibles, you need to be reading your Bibles. And we talk about that all the time here, right? Luke 4.21. This is kind of the, the, the end of our Luke 4.18 ministry. He says, today what? The scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus was putting incredible authority and reverence on the word of God. He said, today, let's just say grafe, today that collection of logos has been confirmed in your, hear, in your hearing. And to the Sadducees, he said, he says, you are deluded. That was, that was an insult, right? You are deluded, you are deceived, because your hearts are not filled with the revelation of the scriptures or the power of God. What was he saying? These were people that were learned people. He said, you are deceived, you're deluded because you don't really understand the scriptures. And, that, you know, you, there's a lot of people that can quote scripture, but do they understand the scripture and what? Do they understand the spirit of what God is saying through the scripture? And then in Matthew 26, 53 and 54, he says, Jesus talking again. This was in the garden before his death. And, you know, Peter, was, being Peter, was going to cut off an ear. And he said, don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us, and he would send them. He said, but if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled? How would that collection of logos be fulfilled if we interrupted that process? Isaiah 55, 11 says, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth, it shall never return void. So we see that the word of God in the, in the scripture, that collection that we have is precious and priceless. And I've given you the uh, devotional for the 21-day fast, and I, I'm asking us to work through the book of Daniel. That's a powerful little book. But then also to, to begin to, to pray the word of God and, and ask Holy Spirit, what are you trying to show me through the word? What are you showing me about me? What are you showing me about God? I'll give you another little hint, Okay. This is something coming up in 2020. I was going to save this one when everybody's here, but I'll go ahead and give you a heads up, okay? I want you to look up the word inkling, not in Merriam-Webster. Don't come back and tell me it's a Merriam-Webster definition. It's a very, there's, there's some 
very important relevance to the word inkling. And I want you to come back with me and, and tell me what that is. And then you will be given a smiley face and you will be invited to participate in something. Okay. And if you want to cheat, that's okay. Dan knew it right off. But we've got to get serious about the Word of God, okay? We've got to get serious about the Word of God. So what is this all about? What does it have to do with 2020? Number one, there is only one lens that corrects the past. There's only one lens that corrects the past, and it's His Word. It's His Word. The Word of God exposes the lie that the past will leave imprinted in our heart. You know, in our Luke 4.18, we talk about when we have traumas and we have situations in life, what happens, the enemy comes in and immediately begins to speak a lie to you about yourself. He immediately begins to get you to question your identity. Why would God not be there to protect you? Why would they do th- Why would your father do this? Why would your uncle? Why would, where was God at in all of this? See, the enemy's there immediately to make you think that you're less than what God really says about you. So only his word and only full, that's why I said only full knowledge of his love can help you to fully understand who you really are in him. Who you really are in him. It overpowers the disqualifying voice of the devil that's in our life. How many of you, don't raise your hand, but how many of you have ever had the devil disqualify you? Who do you think you are? Don't you know what you did? Don't you remember 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago? Don't you remember last week? Don't you remember how you acted? The devil's always there to disqualify you. God doesn't disqualify, he qualifies. See, God God sanctifies, he sets apart, he separates for his purposes and his good. God doesn't take life, he gives life. God doesn't give sickness, he gives health. God doesn't give uh, confusion, he gives peace. You look at the names that he has associated with himself. So we have to, the devil always wants to distort that. He wants you to think that God's holding out on you just like he did Eve. Oh, God's got something he's not showing you. If you eat this, you're going to be just like God. That's the lie of the enemy. So the word of God exposes that lie. And our minds are shaped by what we focus on in our life. What are you focusing on? Are you focusing on our culture? The media? You know, Jesus told the Sadducees, he said, you're deluded because you misinterpret and teach the error in order to gain position and power. I think a lot of people are starting to wake up. I really think a lot of people are starting to wake up. And they're starting to see that maybe we're not doing this thing called life right. Maybe we're not doing this thing called church exactly right. Maybe it's more than being a huge organization. Maybe it's just being a life-empowering organism that's operating in the earth, changing lives and transforming people. See, I believe we can transform our community. And I don't think it's going to take a whole lot of people to do it. I just think it'd take a whole lot of prayer what I think it's going to take, a whole lot of prayer. Our understanding of Scripture, theology, theology defines our doctrine for life. Now, sometimes we kind of want to shy away from it, especially in the Pentecostal movement. Oh, hey, oh, this doctrine stuff. Doctrine is very important. Doctrine is very important. I've told you, when God sent me back to, you know, I wanted to go to these little online schools, but when he sent me back to Gordon Conway, and I found out how hard it was, and I was whining and crying to him about it, because I could just go here and do this, and it'd be much easier. He said, I want you to bring balance back into the Pentecostal message. See, doctrine is beautiful. Liturgy is beautiful if it's done right, if it's used right. You know, we just went through the liturgy of Advent. It's beautiful, isn't it? It draws our affection and our attention to God. 
We don't need to apologize for the word of truth. But doctrine is very important. And through Scripture, we're able to sustain the counterculture needed to live a life apart from the world in victory over the power of the enemy only through the Word of God. And let me tell you, Christianity today is a counterculture. It's, it's not the prevailing culture. It's a counterculture. Let me, and just turn on your TV, and you can certainly see that if you can even stomach your TV. And as we make disciples, it's very important. In 2020, as we make disciples, it's very important the doctrine that we present. It's very important that our doctrine is backed by accurate theology. The Word of God is critically important. We're going to be spending and focusing more time on the Word of God than we ever have in 2020. Even Pastor Robbins in 1981, when God told him to start a new work, he said, I want you to, to start a work where the Word of God is taught in its entirety, and whosoever will may come. So we've got to become students of the Word. We've got to become even more hungry for the Word. We've got to consume the Word. And the Word of God will shape our inner... And, you know, we've talked about this a lot, but the Word of God will literally shape our brain. It'll shape the way we think, the way we respond in life. The church exists for nothing. This is a C.S. Lewis quote. Now, that's a hint, by the way, on the last thing I ask you. Is that too much, Dan, to give them? This is a C.S. Lewis quote. So I want you to Google C.S. Lewis and Inkling, and that might give you an inkling of what I'm talking about, okay? He says, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ and to make them little Christ. If they're not doing that, all the cathedrals, the clergy, the missions, the sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. It is even doubtful you know whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose. And this is from Donna Wise. I'm not quite the C.S. Lewis status, but it says, if what a church, this is really confusing because it's not even an accurate sentence. It says, if what the church's activity is doing or does not doing does not result in making people more like Jesus, we're wasting our time. That's what I'm trying to say. If what we're doing does not make people more like Jesus, we're wasting our time. So, emphasis 2020, deployed to make disciples. Deployed, to, that's the word I've heard for, for at least about six weeks now. Deployment. God is sending, he said, I'm sending a deployment out. The church is going to be deployed like never before because we're in such a crisis in this time. Let me say one other thing to you. I just looked over here at, at Miss Louise, who is an incredible Bible scholar, by the way. She is an incredible, if, if Deborah was here, she would tell you what an incredible Bible scholar. Let me tell you something. Whether you're five or whether you're 90, I know you're not 90, you have so much to give to the body of Christ. You have so much to give in life. And the devil will try to disqualify you. We were talking about this coming home from Alabama. The devil immediately, when you reach a certain age, wants to begin to tell you, oh, you just need to start stepping aside. You need to start doing this. You need to make room. Well, that's not even biblical, right? God doesn't disqualify us for any reason. Every time I think, God, I mean, I've just wasted so much time. I should have known this. I should have done that. He said, I only had three years. That's what he keeps saying. I only had three years. I heard it again. I only had three years. And I changed the world. Just be obedient. Let's win the war for him. So their emphasis for 2020, we are deployed to make disciples. Number one, we must have God's word richly dwelling within us as both hearers and doers. That's so important. So our doctrine can lead others into following Christ alone. 
our doctrines and when I say doctrine, I'm not talking about we're not a denomination. But what am I talking about? What is your personal doctrine? What is your personal doctrine? Does it align with the theology of the scripture? Our doctrine is the way we live life. It's what we teach, but it's always in agreement with the word of God. It's never counter to the word of God. The problem today is there's so many doctrines out there that are counter to the word of God. Colossians 3, 16, let the word of Christ live in you richly, flooding you with all wisdom, applying the scripture as you teach and instruct one another with the psalms, with faithful praises, with prophetic songs given to you spontaneously by the spirit, so to sing to the Lord with all of your heart. So we see that Paul is, is saying here we've got to let that word richly live inside of us, flooding our heart, flooding our life. We need to have an answer for every argument that the world would hand to us. You know, there's a lot of arguments going on today that are, you know, the abortion issue. The abortion issue. Over 60 million babies. I understand it's going down. Praise God. I think that's through the prayer of the churches. But see, some churches are embracing abortion, homosexuality. And we love all people, right? But here again, what we can do is we can take, we can take a word and, and we, can, we can look at how our society embraces the word love, for example. They embrace the word love. Okay, well... Love is a good thing. Yes, it's a good thing. So it doesn't matter how I fulfill my love. Even if I have to break up my marriage to go running after someone else so I can have my love fulfilled. Or if I have to love someone that's of the same gender. See, because love is a good thing. Well, God's word clearly defines what love truly is. He defines that he is love. And we're the object of his love. But he also decides what's in our best interest. And every time I sit with someone that tells me I love him or her of the same gender, I'll say, but it's not God's best for you. It's, I don't condemn you. I, don't, I mean, come, we welcome you, but, I don't, but it's not God's best for you. Well, I can't afford to have this child. You know, it's a bad time in my life. It's not God's best plan. It's not God's plan. It defiles our land. There's many different things that, that we have to apply the word of God to that we're fighting. We're a counterculture in our own nation today. We're counterculture. James one twenty two. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For anyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. And he goes, well, it's like I have a smudge here and I, I walk away. I forget I have the smudge, right? I forget that I have that smudge because I've, I'm looking in there and I'm seeing myself and I'm not, doing any, I'm not getting that smudge off of my face. And that's the way our life, we've got to be doers of the word, not just hearers only. We've got to put the, see, we're blessed in our doing, right? We're best in, it's not just enough to say, well, you love everybody. I love everybody, but am I loving everybody in my actions? Or am I showing unlove by my words that I speak, my criticism, my judgment, whatever it might be? Number two. Our doctrine comes only from the word of God and not based on the social paradigm adopted by the church. That's heavy, isn't it? Our doctrine has to come from the word of God only and not based on the social paradigm adopted by, the, I say, the church or the culture. And you know, if you hear anything in this church that's inconsistent with the word of God, I want you to come to me. Because I pray all the time, God, I want true revelation. I do not want to misinterpret your word. I do not want to misteach your word. And I believe all of our teachers are that way. 
But doctrine like scripture teaches the disciples who they are in Christ. Disciples have to understand and remember whose way they belong to. So when we're hearing the word but we're not doing the word, we're walking in a way that's inconsistent with what God's word says. And we're walking in a dangerous path. Remember in the Old Testament where it talked about the kings and it talked about how they walked in the ways of a previous king which was evil and not in agreement with the word of God. And where did it lead them to destruction? Are we walking, in other words, whose government is ruling in our life? I read in the word where it says that I have to forgive, but you don't know what they did to me. We have to forgive. We have to actively forgive. And we talk a lot about what forgiveness is and what it isn't. doesn't always mean reconciliation. Sometimes it's best not to reconcile. But we have to forgive. See, we can't allow this in our heart. We must know scripture in order to know who we are in Christ. We must know scripture in order to know who we are in Christ. Our whole life has to be shaped around the word of God. And our theology defines our doctrine and leads us to correctly understanding and defining who Jesus is to a lost world. See, too often we'll make our theology agree with our life rather than our life agreeing with our theology. And what do we do? We walk in error. We walk in no power. And we have a form of godliness but no power thereof because we want our theology to match our life because everybody believes this. Everybody's doing it. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study and be eager and do your utmost to present yourself to God approved, tested by trial, a workman who has no cause to be ashamed, correctly analyzing and accurately dividing, rightly handling and skillfully teaching the word of God. That's not just for somebody standing behind a pulpit. That's for every single one of us because you're going to come in contact with people that no pastor or teacher in the church is going to come in contact with and you've got to have an answer. You're going to sit at work with people who's going to ask you a question. You know, I, I told you many times about the young lady that I used to work with who was, was in the, of a denomination, didn't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And she said, oh, you go to that church that believes in speaking in tongues. I said, yes, I do. And she said, would you explain that to me? And so I explained it very simply, my own experience. And she goes home that night, and you know what she does? She gets baptized in the Holy Spirit in her bedroom. And she stopped smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. And her church kicked her out because she was a teacher. See, your doctrine has got to agree with theology, not with whatever, you know. We had another friend who was a Presbyterian. I didn't mean to say that. There's good Presbyterians. There really are good Presbyterians. Really, there are very good Presbyterians. And he was on the board. He was a teacher. He was a student of the Word. But he got uh, phlebitis in his legs. And so for six weeks, he had to lay on his back. And he thought, well, I've never read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. So I think, yeah, and he's a teacher. He said, so I think I'm going to start reading the Bible. He says, in that six weeks, he got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said he went back to his church. He's sure they wanted to hear about this. And they asked him to step down from the board, and they told him he couldn't teach anymore. So what's our doctrine really going to be in agreement with? Is it going to be in agreement with the Word or what someone else tells us is acceptable? We want the Word, don't we? That's where the power is. The power is in the Word. It's not in, in man's opinion about something. Right? I don't even know why I went there. It's not even in my notes. Okay. Number three. We understand that there's only one gospel, that there are many false messages or fake news that are thriving in our culture. There's only one 
gospel, and it's presented four different ways in the Bible, by the way. The gospel, the good news, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then Acts and all the others are all about living in the light of the gospel that's presented. So the social church has taken on a set of values that conform to a social image, but is inconsistent with the word of God. And I'm not here to slam any, I'm not talking about, I'm not, I don't care what other people are doing. I'm just saying we've got to be careful. We have to be careful. In order to make a disciple in today's world, there's a required deprogramming of the set of values many people have adopted and are reprogramming them with what the word really does say. Is there a scripture, Romans 12 and 2, tells us this. It says, don't copy the behaviors and the customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. He's saying, whatever you do, be careful that you don't copy. See, if we don't know what the word says, how are you going to know these are wrong? How are you going to know it's not wrong to shack up together if you're not listening to the word of God when he talks about immorality? How are you going to know that? How are you going to know that it's not wrong to murder a baby? Because it seems right in my eyes. How do you know that it's not wrong for two of the same gender? How are you going to know that if you don't have a standard in which your life is, is backed, about, backed upon? How are you going to know that? We have to know the word. There's, there's a term, if you're anybody's ever done any sociology, it's called social imaginary. Anybody know, familiar with that term, social imaginary? Barbara is. I sure, I'm sure she would be. Let me tell you what social imaginary is, and this is where the church is at today. It's a set of values, institutions, laws, and symbols common to a particular social group and the corresponding society through which people imagine their well-being and wholeness that depends upon these values. Did that make sense? It's a set of values that people imagine that their wholeness is dependent upon adhering to those values. So in other words, God might say, uh, let's just say the seeker-sensitive church movement that, was, that Bill Hybels has finally said was a disaster. It seemed normal and it seemed right to appeal to the people outside by meeting their cultural values and opinions. So we, what do we do? We bring this into the church. 20 years later, he says it was a dismal failure because they never created true disciples. What they did was entertain people. And they never got to the truth of the gospel. So we have this generation, he says, that don't even know their scripture because they weren't taught that. Now, can we enjoy church? Can we have a good... Yes, we can. It's, we had a great fun time. Last Sunday was just fun, I said. Just a fun time. We can have that fun. But see, the thing is, it always has to be in agreement with the Word of God. Are we making people more like Christ or more like the world? And there's example after example of that and go, that's going on in the, in, the, in the world today where we look at something and we'll, we'll say, this is the way I have to be. And this is plaguing our young people. I've got to be like this person in order to be successful and happy and prosperous. So I've got to wear a certain kind of clothes. I've got to participate in certain behaviors. I've got to go to a certain school. All of these things, because I have this image in my mind, which is an imaginary image, that this is what it's going to take to make me happy. And the church has to run from that as much as we can. We have to say, God, we want only your word. We want only your word. We want only you. We have to say we're no longer obsessed with money and appearance, physical health, although that's a good thing, and ignore the spiritual health in the process. We want to prosper as our souls prosper. And then we wonder why there's no power in the church. Let's stand, if you will.
Number two question. Whose government's ruling in your life? And are you going to win the war? Every one of you have a war to win. Every one of you have a war to win. And then we have a corporate war as the church. But you have your own war within your family because the devil is wanting your children. He's wanting your finances. He's wanting your marriage. He's wanting all of these things. Are you going to win the war? And we can never, never, ever go to war without the word. That's our weapon. What's that little song we sing sometimes? This is how we fight our battles is by the word of God. Because remember, he give, has given us authority. He's given to us power. We can rule over the, the government of evil that's trying to grab hold of our lives and take over. We see it all the time. I mean, especially in, in, the, in the business we have in Genesis, we see a lot of times when darkness tries to come in because we have a lot of confusion that comes in the door, a lot of chaos, a lot of, a lot of stress and strife, and a lot of people who's dealt with all kind of addiction issues and all that. And so the, we have to go through periodically. We have intercessors that just go in there on a regular basis and just walk through the building and pray, getting rid of these, these governments that's trying to rule in the lives of people. And see, the problem is when someone comes into a, a, to whether it's a church or whether it's a counseling facility and they're being ruled by the kingdom of darkness and all we have are man's techniques to give them, this is what we hear. I've been doing this for two years and it's not helping me any. I've been taking these meds and now he's doubled my meds this week because my depression and my anxiety is getting greater. See, the problem is not a psychological, it's spiritual, which has caused psychological manifestations. If we get to the root of the spiritual problem, then we can get rid of the fruit that's coming from that problem. I, I think I've, I mean, if you've been in Luke 14, you know this. You know, there's a scripture that says that the influences of the father, the iniquities of the father visit to the third and the fourth generation. And uh, we tear that apart in Luke 418. That word iniquities is really influences of the father. And that word visit really means to seek out. So the influences of the father will seek you out to the third and the fourth generation. Now, what does that sound like to you? There's a ruling generational spirit that's trying to grab hold of you and take authority over you. But because you know what? We have the authority to break that. We have the authority to break that. But there's also a physiological aspect to that. Neuroscience is just, I just read this in the last couple of months. They're saying now that physical trauma, molestation, neglect, abandonment, all these things have cellular memory. And you know how many generations they see that they last now? Three to four. Coincidence, right? You think God knew what he was talking about? You see why we need the word? You see why he said you got to decide who you're going to believe? I tell you, the word of God is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It'll cut apart every problem you have in your life. And I just want to pray over you today. Now, if you have sickness, I mean, I think most of our elders are not even here, but if you have sickness in your body... We will pray for you. Just come after the service. And we're going to also give you an opportunity to give. This is the last opportunity to give into 2019, if that matters to you. really shouldn't matter to us, right? Who cares? Who cares? What happens if the government decides they're going to take away that little privilege and benefit we have? We're still going to give, aren't we? Because our doctrine is not based on world, on the world's doctrine. Our doctrine is based on the word of God. He says he'll give back to us. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. So, Lord, I just thank you for every person here today. And, Lord, I just thank you that 
Father, our hearts are open to receive your word. God, your word is so important to us. Your word is critical to us. God, I'm so thankful that you allow us, Lord, to know you, that you allow us to eat of your word, eat of your flesh, holy God. Lord, I'm so thankful that the word of God can set our lives free. It's a knowledge of the truth that sets us free, and the truth is your word. Lord, in John 17, 17, you said your word is truth. And God, your word is truth. And I thank you, God. And we know that, Lord, you have come as our extraordinary strategist. God, you have a strategy for every problem that's going on in this place today. Every life, you have a strategy. And God, I just pray that that strategy would be manifested into, into a blessing in the lives of your people, Father. You're also our mighty God, our El Gabor, Lord. I thank you for that military strength you give to us as your army. God, we're going to win the war in 2020. God, I also thank you that the loving arms of Father God we can run into, Lord, and that you give us only that perfect peace that comes because your government is ruling in our lives. Lord, and I believe it's in Ephesians, or one of those, it's, you've said in your word, let peace rule in our heart like an umpire. Let peace rule. That's the ruling government of God. Let peace rule in our heart like an umpire. So, God, I pray that you would expose uh, to us any lies that the enemy's been speaking to us. God, we renounce any lie of the devil in Jesus' mighty name. We take authority over that in the mighty name of Jesus. We bless you, Father. I bless every person here. And, Father, we just thank you. Lord, again, thank you for healing all of those who are out. Thank you for protecting those who are away. And, God, we're just so thankful for all you do for our church family. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.